Welcome to Mintcast. Live stream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. We're in the Mintcast channel in IRC at irc.spotchat.org. If you see something that you like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us on MeWe, Facebook, the Mintcast subreddit, Telegram, Discord, or post directly at mintcast.org. Welcome to Mintcast episode 310. This is Leo, and with me this week are Bo. How's it going, everybody? Joe. Hello again. Moss. Hi there. Josh. Hello. And Tony Hughes. Hi, guys. And we're recording live on Sunday the 2nd, June 2019. And this show, first up in our wanderings, I get familiar with Batacera. Bo talks Doom 2016 and Automatic Arch. Josh upgrades and our live streaming setup and gives a keynote in France. Tony Hughes repairs Firefox and a laptop. Moss fixes a slow boot up thanks to Discord and takes on Bodhi. And Joe wades through broken projects but enjoys Texas Linux Fest. In the news, we talk life and death for Linux, some news apps, and what's going on with Linux Mint. In the innards, we dive into why we use Mint. Finally, we rummage through some feedback. So this past couple of weeks, I have been playing with Batacera. And this is last week, Joe had brought up something that was brought up on the Ubuntu podcast. And that was Batacera, just a kind of a retro pie alternative for everybody else. and But it does work on the Raspberry Pis as well. Uh, so I figured I would give it a shot. Uh, I know my wife and I really like to play older games a lot. And this was, it, it seemed too good to be true and too good to pass up. So I figured I would do it. So the install was quite literally just etcher the image onto a flash drive and plug it in boot from it. it that was easy enough. And it booted up pretty quickly on a, on a flash drive. I have this really old, I think it's an ADATA S102. And it's got about 80 megabytes read. So the boot up is really quick. Um, it's actually not that much slower than a regular SSD, but I don't imagine there's a whole lot that's loading up. I did have to set Legacy Boot. For some reason, the UEFI option wasn't available, but I think that had something to do with uh, the Secure Boot stuff. I turned it off, but it still didn't like it. So anyway, just swapped over to Legacy, and it seemed to fix up the issue. But um, I don't know. I'll have to test, uh, test around a little bit with it to kind of figure out what was going on with it. Anyway, so I realized after booting the thing up that whatever space you have left over, Batacera creates a new partition in that space and calls it shared. And inside of that directory, you have a, a directory for all of the different, uh, all of the different video game systems that, that you might want to be, that, that, that it has support for. So this is where you're going to stick all your ROMs. Uh, so for me, that partition ended up being uh, about 28 gigs or so. So it kind of gives you an idea of how big the image is, maybe a gig or two, something like that. And I put in some Atari 2600 ROMs, NES ROMs, SNES, Sega Genesis, or Mega Drive, I guess, depending on where you are. Uh, some Game Boy Advance, PlayStation 1, and Nintendo 64. I tried games for each of these consoles, and I didn't have a single issue with any of them. Oh, you got and, an N64 to work? 
Yes, and this is oh, what so was so surprising to me. This is, um, I won't say it's powerful. It's that HP stream I was talking about a few shows ago, and it's got some, uh, it's not great. It's some low-end Celeron. It gives great battery life, but performance isn't really great. It doesn't and need it. For, apparently not. Nintendo 64 worked amazingly. Uh, I played Diddy Kong Racing, Super Mario Kart, Mario 64. GoldenEye. And, uh, I did have GoldenEye, but I didn't actually get to it. Like Me and my wife ended up playing like three hours worth of video games on this thing last night. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we just didn't get to it. But that that's what really what blew me away. This OS is amazing it worked everything everything worked out of the box and because we took so long I, I meant to actually do some testing on the cody plugin that it has but yeah again just ran out of time and didn't uh didn't get a chance to play with it but i imagine it'll work great and we were using a uh, playstation 3 controller oh okay so so this didn't work out of the box and it could just be this controller uh, i thought the ps3 controller was bluetooth and when I tried to pair it with the with the laptop on Batacera, it didn't connect. Now, that might totally be because this laptop doesn't support Bluetooth or just doesn't like this PS3. So it may not be Batacera at all. But um, once I plugged in the PS3 controller with the USB cable, worked great. Everything worked. Um, setting up the, the controls and everything else was just was a breeze. So honestly, I've had way too much fun with this. And I think I'm going to keep it on a flash drive and uh, use it with this laptop because it reminded me, like when I was playing the Atari games, it reminded me when you're on like that really small TV that, that isn't the main TV or something like that and it, everything is just so small. Everything is just so tiny. Um, it, it just gives you that retro feel to it all. So yeah, I mean we have, I think we have like a 50 inch TV somewhere in the house and here me and my wife are just staring at this like 11 inch tiny screen but man having having the best time it, it was it was great so for me i think that was that was really all the uh the linux stuff that i got done this week but man i had a good time doing it so bo's got doom running on linux mint now tell me about this uh well actually it's uh kind of it's somewhat uneventful but um i just uh coincidentally was watching a uh, documentary about Doom 2016, about the, the making of uh, and the relaunching of, of Doom. Um, and there was actually a game before... They were, they were originally making a sequel to the Doom games, and then they decided that it didn't really fit into what they were, you know, what they were going for. They didn't feel like the fans would like it, so they scrapped that project. And then from that uh, came the relaunch, you know, sort of remastered Doom 2016. Um and not like the next day, like not long after watching this documentary, um, Doom 2016 was mentioned on another Linux podcast. Uh, you have to forgive me, whatever other Linux podcast that was. I don't remember. Um, but they were saying that because of the recent um, Google announcement uh, with their streaming service, that id Studios had made some sort of comment about how they originally designed Doom 2016 to run on Ubuntu. Um, so it kind of gave me the idea, well, if it runs natively on Ubuntu, I should just buy the game and see how well it runs on Linux Mint. So, um, I logged into Steam, purchased the game. It actually, that comment I heard is misleading. Doom 2016 runs perfectly well on Steam Proton, but it's not native, it's not native Linux. But, um, if you have Proton enabled, if you purchase the game, 
Doom 2016 certainly runs exactly as it does on Windows. There was there was no adjustment or anything. Just installed it. Just played it. It's a really fun game. Um, it's got great music and it's 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 extremely over the top, violent and gory, <laughs> almost that, in a that's comical why you way. Get Doom. That's why you get Doom, though. <laughs> yeah, no, it's very it is very Doom. I think that there's a lot of fan service in this game. Um, but I just wanted to point out that like usually I have like some you know whatever the latest Nvidia driver is on my Mint installation. I usually purposely change my PPA so that I can get something great, something newer. Um, with this installation. I literally installed Linux Mint. I installed Steam. I didn't even install Wine or anything like that. I just installed Steam, and then I turned on Proton and installed Doom 2016. And everything, all the factory settings and everything within Linux Mint, um, it runs you know completely perfectly out of the box. Um, the next thing I worked on that I wanted to talk about on the show was a Arch installation script. Um, with the news that we're going to get into about. Antergos, uh, it kind of made me think, well, are there any installers out there um, that give you a more friendly um, installation process for Arch? <clears throat> and I heard about this um, GitHub. Um, it's by Matt Mull, Matt Mull, and it's called ArchFi. Um, and it is a script that will basically walk you through the process of installing Arch. Um, if, you, if you make an Arch ISO burn it to a USB and boot to it. And then from there, if you've ever installed Arch, basically once you once you boot to that ISO, you're you're in a root uh, you know, command, you're in a root terminal. Um, from there, you can wget this script from GitHub and then run it and it starts an installation process where you basically check the boxes for what you want it to install and um, all the configurations you want and it'll go through the process and actually install the entire OS. Um, I installed Arch um, and the packages that they had available that I use, um, including the Cinnamon desktop, and uh, I rebooted, and it just it came right up. It took about 10 minutes. It was great. That so fast, next huh? month, Bo starts ArchCast. <laughs> Again. <laughs> but on the, just a quick comment about the Doom thing earlier, the, the reason that it runs so well in Proton is because it's Vulkan native, right? Yeah, I think that's what the I think that's what the comment was from the id developer was that they had they had made it with Vulkan native, um, and I think if you look at the there's like a short list of Valve like approved games like these are games that Valve like says a hundred percent they're confident that you can purchase this game and it'll work under Linux. Um, Doom twenty sixteen I think was one of the first games on that list. Man, that's awesome. Well, it's it's good to know that it's, as long as you program through uh, through Vulkan that it'll most likely just work through Proton if that's what you're going to use. That's awesome. Absolutely. Josh, what have you been working on this this week? Yeah, so I went to um, Lyon in France um, to give a keynote about open source, um, and I talked about um, GitHub, um, licenses, all the boring stuff as well as the exciting stuff about open source and about how I use it. Um, I also ran a Raspberry Jam event um, to give developers an insight as to what kids are doing with coding in school. So um, the developers at the conference um, didn't necessarily know what a Raspberry Pi is. Um, so it was all about showing them how that works, um, what I do, and the stuff um, that I do back home. Uh, the, the event itself was really good. Um, it's probably the best experience for a speaker um, because they they give you all your meals, um, everything that you need, um, whilst you're there. 
and um, so that that's really good. Uh, I've also made our live streaming setup, which doesn't work because YouTube is down for some reason. Um, and I've just realised we could have set up like Twitch or something, but oh well. Um, so our live streaming setup is uh, running on um, a few different things now. I'll actually write it up properly when I get the time to. Um, so the first kind of like ingredient for the live streaming setup is this thing called Macro Deck, um, which is very similar to um, the the Stream Deck device. Um, and basically, uh, what that does is it's a it's a series of buttons, and I got it running on a, an old phone of mine, and I have half of it set up for mumble, so uh, muting the microphone doing the volume, all that sort of stuff. And then the right hand side, uh, you've got three buttons. One is like a test card, then you've got the intro scene, and then you've got the main screen. Um, I've refactored the main screen to have the chat on there as well, as well as the visualizer um, and stuff like that. Uh, you also have um, two links to open Mumble and OBS, and then you've got um, a button to toggle the stream on or off, um, which is pretty useless when YouTube's down, um, or record locally. Um, so that's Macro Deck. Um, I'm also using um, Corner, I think it is, um, however you pronounce that, which is basically, it takes the um, audio from Mumble or my microphone, and then it'll visualize it in like bars of audio, and then OBS will then just cast that um, to YouTube. Um, also, um, you'll be able to see next time we get the live stream working. Uh, I have a soundboard with the intro, transition music, and outro music, and I'm using something called Voice Meter. Um, what Voice Meter does is it takes my microphone um, and the soundboard microphone, it mixes them into one audio output that I can just set mumble to and set OBS to. So instead of having multiple microphone sources, which Mumble doesn't actually let you do, it just has one um, output where the two microphones are connected using something called a virtual audio input or virtual audio cable. Um, I'm also using OBS um, just for the generic thing of pushing it out to YouTube. It's uh, oh, I think open source, so yeah, open broadcasting software. Um, and it's really good um, and free as well. Uh, YouTube have released a new streaming dashboard, which I haven't used yet um, because it's not working at the minute. Um, but it, it looks nice so far. And also to have the chat overlay in OBS, I'm using something called Chat V2. And Chat V2 basically applies um, some additional CSS to make it look nice when it's um, plugged into OBS. Um, my new PCBs arrived from China after a mess up of making them too small. Um, they fit really nice but the holes for the LEDs are too close together and a nightmare to solder. Um, I'm going to solder them up anyway, um, use some um, finer tips and some finer solder. Come uh, on by, I'll give you a hand. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a rubbish solderer, um, I can't do it at all, and they're, they're like nearly touching. Um, Basically, as touching as it can be without it not, um, not not working. Um, so yeah, 
I'm going to try them just to check if the wiring's working, um, but I'm going to have to think about uh, something else. They're RGB LEDs, so the legs are really close together and you've got four of them, so it's a, a nightmare to do, so I'm going to have to think about that. Um, but yeah, if anyone's got anything to say, if not, um, on to Tony. Yeah, Josh, just before we move on to what I've been doing, uh, while you were in France, uh, what kind of food did you sample, being in one of the best countries in the world for good food? Um, well, they they have... Uh, it's quite an interesting the way they do it. So they have... Um, obviously, France is known for their food. Um, and they have a... Um, a guy who organizes like local food so um one of the days it was beef stew um and then there was like um chicken and cream and all that sort of stuff i i tried most of it um but twitter did not come across that way um so <laughs> um, he just ordered my bangers spy and, said and mcdonald's came into it well yes so in the, for breakfast in the morning some days I did have um, an Egg McMuffin from McDonald's but that was only <laughs> a few of the days uh, but yeah the, the food was nice in general over there um, they do a good job of it oh well you can tell my spy off next week then when you see him yeah. and the, the second best country to get food is my house <laughs> I'll be there tomorrow. All right. Hey, man, I fancy myself a bit of a really bad chef, so I'll, I'll take it. Okay, thanks for the intro, Joe. Uh, Josh, I'm, uh, I'll tell you what I've been doing. So uh, this week, myself and Moss um, recorded our uh, new episode of uh, Distro Hoppers. So in preparation for that, we uh, recorded and edited the intro and the out going sections um, so to make it the recording a little bit easier and the editing at the end of it I've also repaired my Firefox install on my desktop because uh, that broke when Firefox uh, updated to uh, number 67 uh, and it just wouldn't start for any reason it kept saying there was a missing dependency or something so uh, someone suggested uh, in one of the communities that I was looking at uh, just delete the .mozilla folder and reinstall it and it should come back which is what I did and then restored a backup I had of it and everything's back up to normal so uh, if you're having problems with Firefox delete the .mozilla folder uh, restart Firefox it'll restore it and then if you've got a backup of the original folder you can uh, reinstall stuff um, like I said myself and Moss recorded our second episode of Distro Hulk Distro Hoppers uh, Digest, uh, and that is now live. You can find it uh, through the feed at uh, feeds.feedburner.com uh, slash blogspot slash J-E-J-Q-F, and there's a link to that in the show notes. I've also been playing, quietly, I've been playing with Windows 10. A friend oh. of mine wanted a uh, Sony Vio laptop uh, rescuing that had gone dog slow and it's a nice 
bit of kit, nice i5 laptop. Uh, had a seven seven hundred and fifty gig uh, spinning hard drive, but was running just like it was crawling. So uh, I uh, swapped out the hard drive for an SSD, uh, changed the um, RAM to two, uh, to two matching four gig uh, RAM sticks, and reinstalled Windows 10, and it is running brilliantly. It boots in about 25 seconds now. Uh, but I then had to uh, do all this stuff to reinstall software and stuff because obviously, unlike Linux, it doesn't come with a an awful lot of stuff for making you productive. So uh, it takes quite a while. But um, and apart from that, I've just bought myself a new laptop as well. Managed to get a good deal on eBay for a, a Dell seven four four zero. With a 256 gig SSD and 16 gig of RAM, so cost me just over 200 bucks or 165 quid with delivery in this country, which was uh, I thought was quite good. That's a nice. So that's find, my yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, so over to you, Moss. Wow. Thanks, Tony. Well, as you just heard, Tony and I had a lovely meeting for the next Distro Hoppers Digest. As Tony said, the recording happened on Wednesday. We're working on our next episode now. The first episode had 135 downloads as of yesterday. I'm still debating what to use for the June show, and I'm considered cheating and just reviewing Bodie 5.0.0 since I saved most of the things I had to do to get it installed, and I love using it so much. It's a very unusual distro. The, the desktop is beautiful. The uh, window manager the, uh, is exceptional. Anyhow, I did check out the latest version of Farron OS, but I had problems from installation on and have decided not to go there at this time. I'll probably wait until June 6th or so when Open Mandriva LX4 gets released and put that on the fourth partition on my hard drive. I had a chat with listener Cat in our Discord group regarding my slow boot times on Bodhi that I've talked about in the past here. She helped me fix it, and my boot time for Bodhi is now a minute 16 instead of 3 minutes and 5. Apparently, the swap sector was reformatted and renamed by one of the other installations, and Bodhi was waiting for that sector to show up. We managed to tell the machine the current name of the swap sector. Bodhi says, well, if you're going to call it that, I don't need it, so it just marks it as failed and continues. And as I have 8 gigs of RAM, I don't need the swap, so no harm. I would like to say Cat is amazing. She is awesome. I agree. I did sign up for the free parts of Librem 1, which got me Librem Chat and Librem Social. In other words, I have new installations of Riot and Mastodon. And after I log into them, they display as being Riot or Mastodon. I have one contact in Mastodon thanks to this show, so it's not totally useless, and it was totally free. The fundraiser failed. I hate to say it. We got $130 of the $750 goal so I will not be going to self in June. I will make efforts to save towards going next year. I've already sent a 55 donation to Linux Mint, although I had to contact them via email to tell them it was to be credited as being from our team, not just me. That happened yesterday, so it won't show up in the May report, people. <laughs> I will send another $55 to archive.org soon, the remaining $20 by designation of the donor will be kept to help my wife and I with our immigration issues. I have a new job. It hasn't started yet. I got a position as an auto parts driver for O'Reilly Auto Parts using their car or truck, which is a big change from Uber. 
Not much dollars per hour, and it's part-time. The manager said he could get me hours at other stores, but that will likely take a week or three to get going. I got a positive response from one of the computer jobs I applied for, but they said their business lags during the summer and is mostly filled by college students on break, and they promised they'd call me when autumn approaches, and some of those students have to go back to school. And my mother has been sent home by the rehabilitation facility, not because she's significantly better, but because her insurance has run out. She will now have to spend her own money to get 24-7 care until she's stronger. The alternative not taken was to consign her health care and enter a nursing home, no longer living independently. We all love the U.S. healthcare system. On that down note, how about you, Joe? Well, it's been a busy couple of weeks for me. Um, a lot of failed projects, but a lot of fun had. Um, now, I attempted to install Batacera on one of those really old Windows tablets I have. I think they're the ST5000s. I spoke about them on the show a couple of weeks ago. But it simply would not read the USB at all. It would not boot from it. Um, I think it has to do with um, PAE. Normally, I would get an option to be able to force PAE, but it wouldn't even get to grub, so uh, there really wasn't anything to do. So uh, I really wanted to take this with me to um, Texas Linux Fest and have it set up and playing old games uh, with a 360 controller, but no such luck. And, and then, you know, after I couldn't get Batacera to install, I went in and tried to install RetroArch. But um, it was giving me problems. And at first, I, I, I didn't know because it was just popping up the screen and then dropping it down. But um, after I tried to run it from command line, I did it with dash VVV. And that told me that it was a graphics driver issue. And... Um, I, I couldn't find any updated graphics for that tablet, and it's really not surprising considering its age. And so then I tried to install just a Genesis emulator, and same issue would not work. So I moved on to other projects from there. Um, I'm thinking that my little garage computer, the Gigabit Bricks, it's basically a Nook clone. Um, might have overheating issues in the Dallas weather. So I, I'm checking out ways to keep it cool that aren't too work intensive. So I'm ordering um, a 5 volt um, blower fan for a computer. But um, I'm, I'm going to replace the 2 pin on it with a USB cord and, and power it by USB and set it up to push air across the top of the device since there's already vents in that location. Just push the hot air out and try and keep it cool that way. We'll see if it works. Now, I know I brought up uh, my T100TA a couple of times and how it's not working right now because it's not getting power at all. Um, me and my daughter, my eldest, sat down and we took it apart and I attempted to reseat the power plug, just hoping that was it instead of the power plug actually being bad. It's micro USB. I went in there with a soldering iron and some solder and reflowed the connections and still it will not charge. Um, 
I, I'm probably going to have to take that out entirely and just try a new one. It's They're relatively cheap parts. I think you can get them for less than $5 if you order them from the U.S. And probably a whole lot less if you order them from China and wait. So it's still on the decommissioned list for now. And um, I have... It just seems like a couple of weeks of broken projects for me because I also ordered some broken stuff on eBay. It was a Bluetooth speaker, um, a set of ear pollution headphones that are, were supposed to have really good bass that are broken, and then another cheap no-name headphone that as soon as it arrived, I found out it works and handed it to my son. Um the problem with it, the Bluetooth headset or the Bluetooth speaker is that the last person that worked on it, I guess there was a problem before that, he did some interesting work on it. Um, the micro USB power port had broken off. So what that person did was they took it apart entirely and hooked power uh, like took a five volt wall plug that had a cord coming off of it from Microsoft. It's fairly good uh, plug and wired that into where the battery connects. And they took the battery out completely and set that aside. And then um, they wired the speakers directly to the board. And now it, it's ingenious. It works. The problem is, is that they didn't solder anything, so the connections come loose from the speakers. And I'm thinking I might go back in and just hook up uh, another micro USB power port on it and see if that works. Uh, now, granted, it still won't have a battery, but um, I might turn it... because. I've had such bad luck finding proper Bluetooth adapters. I might just turn it into a Bluetooth adapter for my car and use that when I'm driving down the road. Uh, I'll post more about that later. Okay. Um, lately, I've been watching Tronics Fix on... Or no, is it... Yeah, it's Tronics Fix on YouTube. I keep wanting to say Fixtronics. It's really great. Um, YouTube channel and uh, I think I put that in the check this out section as well so I'll talk a little bit more about it then but the guy spends all his time fixing um, gaming systems and, and it made me bust out my old roommate's Xbox One which we thought had a bad hard drive because evidently it's not super easy to fix but it's not really difficult either um so the first thing I did instead of, you know, just buying the hard drive and waiting for it to show up was I hooked up that Xbox one and it turned right on and everything seems to work. Now it might still have hard drives issues. Hard drives are finicky like that. Sometimes they'll work and then the next day they'll give you a problem again. But, um, you know, I couldn't sign in to any of the accounts that were there. I added my own account on there. And what's interesting is, is I can access all the games that have previously been installed on there. Uh, it's got the 500 gig hard drive in it, but it was 90% full, 92% full. So I uninstalled all the games there and I still have the option to reinstall them. But even then that only got me down to like 
what, 75% free on the drive. So I, I'm assuming some of the, uh, one of the other um, accounts on there has some files on there or something, or me uninstalling doesn't install or uninstall from all the accounts. So I, I might do a full wipe, but um, we really don't have a use for an Xbox One, so I might wipe it and turn around and sell it. Or I might give it to my kids and take their Xbox 360 because the reason my wife doesn't want an Xbox One is because a lot of her games have not been ported over. So that lack of backwards compatibility there is why she'd rather stick with the 360. But our 360s keep falling apart. Okay, well, also went to Texas Linux Fest yesterday and the day before. Absolutely loved it. Had lots of fun. I worked the local lug table, and I, it was great. I spent most of the time at the local lug table. I did get to make it to a few talks um, on containerization and Ansible, and yeah, it very informative. I definitely would do it again. Um, I, I got to meet some really great people. I, I met 5150 in person. He does uh, the Linux Lugcast with me. I got to meet a couple of fans, uh, Mordency, Ed, and Danny. Great guys. I went out to lunch with them a couple of times. Just a blast. Also, got to talk to some of the Jupiter Broadcasting folks. They they stayed pretty busy, though. Um, I, I got to shake hands with Chris. Uh, I had a good conversation with Elle about audiobooks. Uh, she was a little surprised that I listened to a lot of the same audiobooks that she does because I'm a bit eclectic in what I listen to. So I gave her a couple of titles that she might enjoy. She gave me a few titles that I might enjoy. And yeah, uh, like I said, really good time. Um, and that's really all I have. And I think the news is up next. It's it, the news. So let's head on that way. All right, first up in the news, we have Antergos Discontinued, or Antergos, however you want to say it, I don't know. Community may pick it up under a different name if enough interest is shown, and I think there was some interest going on. Who's been following this one? I, I put the link to uh, Endeavor in the uh, news items. Uh, I read the Endeavor post last night, and it seems like there is um, a lot of excitement around uh, that possible future pro project. Um, which they the guys leading up the Endeavor project are allowed to use the Antragos code, but they didn't want to use the name because they wanted to acknowledge the fact that this is being continued by um, a different set of people in the community. Right. But it looks super exciting. I, I'm kind of interested in where that goes. Yeah, same here. I mean, it, it just seemed like it was... Uh... I don't know. Antergos is just... It, I don't think Antergos can die, right? I mean, someone's going to pick it up, and I think this is probably going to be it. But I, I did notice something when I was reading through some of these comments that um, the the suggestion... There was a guy in there named Onlooker that suggested that they should name it Garnet OS, and it was an anagram of Antergos. So, I don't know, man. If if uh. I if I get a vote... I don't use Antergos, though. So, if I get a vote being way on the outside, I vote for Garnet OS. That sounds awesome. Hmm. Are we back to Archcast already? 
<laughs> you know what? Give us give give me and Bo a little while. You let me run that script that Bo talked about earlier, and I might be a, I might be a convert. <laughs> All right. Next thing on the list, we have Zettler Markdown Editor. This must be a new app. Who added this one? Nobody. Oh, it was probably me. If, <laughs> if it came from its faucet, it was me. But uh, I don't. Yeah. I, I put it there because it needed to be there, but... Uh, yeah, I, I like... Uh, we were talking about... Just yesterday, we were talking about taking notes, and uh, I'm I'm weird, I think, because I tend to take notes and leave them on one device and that, that doesn't really share between devices, because I think when I'm sitting down in front of a specific device, I have a specific kind of workflow that, that I've got going or whatever. So, like, when I'm on my laptop, like like I am now... Um, I, I tend to write only things that pertain to maybe like social media or my own postings on my own blog or Mintcast. So I kind of have a have a lane that I stay in. And then on my phone, it's something different, right? I mean, it's like grocery lists and stuff I need to remember when I get home. So at, at any I'm, rate, we have a link in the show notes to the It's Foss article. They get pretty in-depth on it. Um, it's apparently... Uh, most Markdown editors are designed for coders and may not be as welcoming to non-techie people, and they like Zettler for us non-techie types. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was getting at, right? So this could be a replacement for me because I had mentioned using Tomboy Notes yesterday. Um, and this, I love Markdown, so this might be something that I give a shot to. And I don't know, we'll just see how that one goes. I'll, I'll, it looks good, though. And then next up, we, ha- we have Slimbook Battery Optimizer. Who added that one? It looks like me again because it's at <laughs> ItsFoss. All right. Uh, I get the weekly newsletter from ItsFoss, and I recommend it to anyone because there are a lot of good things that are not just news items. Mm-hmm. Um, change power modes in Ubuntu with Slimbook Battery Optimizer. The brief says Slimbook Battery is a nifty applet indicator that allows you to quickly change the power mode on your Linux laptop and thus save battery life. Yeah, this is if you've ever used a Windows box, and I suspect most of us have, um, but when you right-click on the battery icon in Windows, you get, like, balanced and performance, high performance and, and battery saver mode or whatever it is. Um, that's what this is. This is an application to kind of tune down some of the features of your laptop so that it can save battery life. I haven't used it myself, but... Uh, I, I just use TLP, I think is what it's called, right? The pro- Power Project, something like that. Uh, and it kind of takes care of a lot of this stuff for me. But when I want a manual mode, this sounds like it's going to be perfect because it looks like it'll turn off some of your sound, uh, turn off um, Bluetooth when it's not in use. Uh, it will scale down some Wi-Fi stuff. It'll scale down your CPU, your graphics card. So it just looks like something that could 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 add another hour onto your your entire battery. So... I'll give it a shot over this next over this next fortnight and see what uh, see how it works. As opposed to adding another hour onto the show by talking about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, next on the list, Scientific Linux and Antergos are shutting down. And this is the title speaking. It's time for Linux Mint to go. Mm. And that one struck a nerve with me. But I'll let yeah. someone else talk about this. Well, well, most of the commentators, uh, commenters on it disagreed with the title altogether, yeah. but I'll let, let it go. I, I read the article, and, you know, nothing said in the article was specifically untrue, but they could be said about any distro, really. I mean, the, the thing was is that, um, 
you can take anything that's in Linux Mint and you can do the exact same thing on any other distro. But really, if you're willing to customize any distro, the same thing is true. So if this is the distro that is best for your setup or closest to your setup out of the box and you have to do as little configuration as possible, then keep it. And they're saying they don't really bring anything new to the table, but who's doing anything different other than something that's extremely specialized? Yeah, I I feel this and a, a lot of the community feel that it was very clickbaity. Yeah. It was just a way to get people to come and read the article. Uh he couldn't he couldn't say it about Ubuntu, could he? So he has to pick an Ubuntu remix or something. So he's chosen one of the most popular ones, which is Linux Mint. And uh, of course the Linux Mint community is up in arms about it. Well, but loads of people have gone and read the article. <laughs> yes, so- it's time for MX to go. <laughs> So I read the article. I read the article, and I want to say I didn't feel like the the title. The title to me is misleading compared to the contents of the article. Um, to me, the article didn't read as malicious or you know ill intended. Um, it seemed like someone um, who was a uh, Linux enthusiast, and he even acknowledged Linux Mint's contribution um, to you know cinnamon and and um, things. Uh, in the past, whenever Linux Mint kind of served the purpose of being the the version of Ubuntu that you could get your non-free uh, codecs and, and that sort of thing. And then now that that's available in other distros, um, he says that Linux Mint became this, the kind of the second need that it filled was um, being the uh, paradigm of the Windows, you know, Windows XP paradigm, having more of the Windows 7, you know, look and feel to it compared to... Uh, Windows 8 and to even Ubuntu had changed to Unity and we saw GNOME 3 completely change um, from GNOME 2. And so they, the, the writer of the article acknowledges that like these were all important needs um, that the community, that it definitely served a purpose. Um, but his point is that he thinks the best thing to come out of Linux Mint's contributions to the open source community was Cinnamon. And he feels that it would be better for Clem and team to focus their time on contributing to that as opposed to trying to shuffle LMDE and Linux Mint on, you know, Mate and XFCE. Um, and uh, I understand, I think this I think this writer, I didn't get his name, but I think the writer has a very valid point. Um, but at the same time, I'm not for getting rid of Linux Mint yet. Um, I feel like the it still serves as community uh, more than this article gives it credit for. Um, but I didn't think that this article was necessarily an attack at Linux Mint. Do you guys disagree with that? No, it really wasn't. I uh, yeah, I don't disagree that that um, that he made some good points, but I I disagree that it was uh, that he meant it as an attack. I mean, you don't put it's time for Linux Mint to go in the title of the article without that being your the, your entire basis, your entire thesis for writing the, the, the article. Yeah, but I think so, Mint was, you know, just his example that he was using. Uh, it, it felt a lot more generalized, yes, but Mint was the example because it's a somewhat popular distro that they were using in the article. It seems pretty specific. I mean, to me, it seems like he's he's specifically saying like cinnamon is a great thing focus on that you know drop the distro um just focus on the desktop environment and um you know let someone else build a distro out of it now we 
later on in the news, we have the article about, um, you know, Linux Mint's monthly update, and he talks about all of the contributions that they got um, because of, you know, Clem kind of speaking out about, you know, how he felt about maintaining the distro. And I think that may be a sign that maybe we wouldn't have gotten the progress in Cinnamon if it wasn't for Linux Mint existing. So is it really a positive to get rid of Linux Mint as a distro to just focus on Cinnamon? It seems to me like there is a big community of people that are supporting, you know, this project that is contributing to Cinnamon because there is a distro. Yeah, I, I've, I've got a point about that once we get to the innards. And yeah, I, I agree with you there. Yeah, I agree with that. I've uh, supported Mint over the years. And the, and the other thing about Mint is it's a very easy distro for new users that aren't Linux focused if they're coming over from an older version of, say, Windows. Um, and I often put Linux Mint on uh, older hardware for people and they're quite happy using it. Yeah, it's yeah. easy to get your hands on it, I think. You, you're kind of already set up to use that kind of paradigm that they've got. So it's it's an easier transition, I think, than other distros. Right. And there's plenty of documentation for Linux Mint. And where there's not documentation for Linux Mint, there's documentation for Ubuntu. And it crosses over really well. Yep, absolutely. Uh, only thing I can add is, and I don't know what percentage of Linux Mint users this represents, um, but I work with people that are industry you know they, they work with wet red hat and with CentOS, and they're not really interested in linux as a hobby like this is just their daily job and um the distro that they happen to choose to use is linux mint and it's because whenever they were looking for a distribution um of linux to run on like an old laptop or something they had at home they wanted it to be similar to their windows 7 desktops that they also had they weren't, they're not Linux enthusiasts. They don't care about free software or any of that. Um, they were just trying to get an old laptop to run faster and to be familiar to them, to their other computer. Um, and uh, these are people that, you know, have like 40 years worth of Linux sysadmin um, time, you know, in, in the business. This this, But they're still not, they're not us. They're not listening to Linux podcasts and those sorts of things. And so I wonder how many people... Um, that are in their shoes that are attracted to Linux Mint because it's more familiar compared to, you know, the guys like us who are super into Linux. And when we get on our Linux laptop, we want it to look and feel completely different than a Windows machine. Um, I, I think that there is a paradigm there that may be outside of our circle. And I think it's more people than we realize. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll definitely agree with that on the topic that I'm usually bringing new users to Linux from Windows. And if they if they look at it, like I said, I've had people using their computers for two or three weeks and said, I thought you were going to put Linux on this machine. So, <laughs> Yeah, and, and for the, the students that I've got that are interested in it, I mean, I get usually 20 in a batch or something like that. And maybe one or two are interested in swapping out the OS on a box. And Linux Mint's one of the very first ones that I'll recommend to them. And some of them break away from it and end up running Arch or KDE Neon or something like that. But... A lot of them stay, and it's just because it's one of those things that it, it, it looks and feels familiar. I don't have to learn this whole new way of doing things or whatever, and um, eventually they'll have to crack open the terminal for something or another, and yeah, it's it's just it's familiar. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, I'll go with familiar. 
Un- unlike yeah. Bo, uh, I'm a, I've been using Linux for 13, 14 years, and I'm still sticking to my old Windows XP paradigm. That's why I run Mate. <laughs> <laughs> so off the heels of that article, we have a Linux Mint-centric article, and it's their monthly news. So there's a good bit of stuff that has changed, and so... Just talking about why you don't want to use Linux Mint. Now let's talk about why you do. So I think that article had mentioned that Linux Mint doesn't offer a whole lot outside of Cinnamon, but this monthly news kind of reminds us why it does. Wine 4 Stable will be backported for easy installation and use. So this is... If you go and try to install Ubuntu 18.04, you want the long-term support, and then you go and try to install Wine, you're going to realize pretty quickly that 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 version of Wine does not work with like anything that is that is more modern, like Vulkan, um, because you're getting Wine 3.0 and Wine 4 stable. I'd have to check uh, Wine HQ, but I think it's like Wine 4.0 or 4.1. And in the four series, you get Vulkan. You can get Vulkan out of the box. And one of the other issues that they ran into was that you can't just double-click on an .exe file and get it to run through Wine. It uh, you had to run it through the terminal, so you had to go and find your file, you know, Wine space, and then the path to your file or whatever. That that is gonna be working out of the box now in uh, in Linux Mint. And so this, just the very first bullet point that they had talked about in their monthly news, is a huge reason why you would want to use Linux Mint over just a plain Ubuntu, or if there if there ever is a, an Ubuntu cinnamon flavor or Fedora cinnamon, something like that. Uh, this is why you would want to use uh, Mint on the Debian side anyway. And then um, it, it's going to be installable via a Wine-Installer meta package. So you just apt install Wine-Installer or find it in a software store. And then there's a Wine-Desktop-Files uh, package that you can install that will replace all of the Wine stuff, all of the old uh, Wine Ubuntu repo stuff. And then Josh will take the next point. Yes, yeah, so there's a new look on the old community website. Um, it's been done up with um, Bootstrap 4 um, to make it look more modern. Um, and with it, uh, there's actually been some things removed. Um, so inactive users, um, info, friends, user scores, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, it has um it's become much more responsive with that i think it looks really nice um compared to the old one and hopefully um this is a sign of uh, maybe the main website changing to look like this as well um a more modern thing um a new logo has also been snuck in um i wonder how many people will notice that um maybe it's a test to see if people like it or not and if they actually notice a difference um after all the complaining the other months yeah, well, they, that community site is now very flat, kind of what they were hinting at before on the, the new blog site and everything else. But, um, yeah, I did notice that logo up there. I wasn't going to say anything about it, but, uh, yeah, now that we mentioned it, uh, shoot, I think it looks good. It's not leafy enough. <laughs> uh, you know, that 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 was the main complaint, right? You kind of lost the mint leaf or whatever. Um, but I, I think as far as, like, little tiny logos that show up in the favicon or whatever i think that's a really good one to do i'll leave it alone for now ah you did oh, it oh god <laughs> <laughs> 
some new other uh, some other new stuff uh zed which is the 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 basic installed text editor that you get uh they're starting to add some features to it to make it a little bit more full featured for programmers they have they will soon support toggling comments and comment blocks so you can select an entire comment or an entire section of code that you want to comment out hit the control forward slash key and it will just comment comment out the whole thing and then you can fold them up makes it really easy to get stuff out of your way when you're testing or you're just adding comments that you don't want to see or something like that. So nice features in Zed. And then us the settings widget. So when you go into the system settings and tinker around with things, flip things on and off, um, they have rewritten that app in Python X app. And the major feature about this is that it took it from 2,200 lines of code to get all of these things working down to less than 700. And as you might expect, this resulted in better performance. It, ha- it makes it look a little more consistent, makes the code more portable so that, and here's the deal, guys, same with Cinnamon. It makes it portable so that other distributions can take advantage of this. So you have Cinnamon as a distro that anybody can take and use and do whatever they want to with. Now we have a settings app that anybody can take and use and do with. So as far as Linux long or Linux Mint longevity, they come up with a whole ton of awesome things. Are we going to mention the donations were way up for April? Oh, I totally forgot to add that in here. Yes, we saw. Oh, my goodness. $24,000, I believe. Yes. So I think Clem has mentioned every single post that, oh, we've got about $8,000. We got $9,000, $7,000 here, $6,000 or whatever. And that's that's pretty consistent for non-release months. So, you know, when 19 comes out or 19.1 comes out, they see a bump in donations. But... $24,000 for a single month is bigger than any release month in history. So, And it wasn't a release month. And it's not, yeah, it's not a release month. This this was, I don't know why this was, but you go look at those numbers and they are awesome. So It's called We Love You, Clem. It is. It seriously is. We love Linux Mint so much. And I throw a fiver here and there to to the project just when I can. And man, this makes me feel good about where my $5 is going. So that's it for the news. And we'll move on into our innards section where we talk about why we chose Linux and maybe why we chose Linux Mint. So I'm going to take the top. I usually try not to, but this time I'm going to because I've got to get out of here pretty quickly. But on the topic of why we chose Linux and specifically for me, why I chose Mint. And we, uh, Tony and Bo had kind of talked about it a little while ago, but Linux Mint is just one of those distros that keeps the basic desktop paradigm that was created back in the late 80s, early 90s, right? So... It's very familiar. And one of the biggest reasons that I stick with it is that this is what I recommend to other people. So I think it would be not really disingenuous of me, but I feel like the better I know Linux Mint, you know, where where things are, how things work and how they fit together, the better I can help the people that I, you know, I'm crazy about and um, 
recommend them to use Linux Mint as well. So it just it just keeps it fresh in my mind, right? I mean, if you're going to be supporting Windows 7 day in and day out, you probably should use Windows 7 so that you know where everything is. So that's that's really the main reason that uh, that I continue on with Linux Mint outside of the fact that Linux Mint, I really feel like, is just one of the best distros to just install, give to a user, and because of the, the software that they bundle with it, makes it just, um, you, you don't touch it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go and set up this PPA and that PPA to make things work. So, time shift. That is one of the biggest things that that make Linux Mint a joy to use. You don't have to worry about how you're going to take backups. They slap you in the face with it right when you log in the first time and it's like, hey, you should set up TimeShift. And if you've got an external drive, you plug that bad boy in, click on TimeShift, next, 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 choose your disk, and you're done. And you get a a the ability to roll back your files in time to where, oh yeah, this entire week is shot. I just want the document that I had a week ago or whatever. You could do that. And as well as, oh God, I deleted my file. What do I do? And you can fix that solution or you can fix that problem as well with time shift. And it turns out the same guy that made time shift is the guy that makes UKU or UKUU. It's this kernel updater program that you are able to get out of band kernels with or any old kernel, right? New, old, whatever. And there is a version of UKU in Linux Mint just built right in so that when the hardware enablement kernels come up, you can just say, all right, I want it. So you open up the software updater, click on Linux kernels, and there it is. The hardware enablement, the latest hardware enablement kernels that you can get your hands on, as well as the long-term support kernels. So for me, once I got on kernel 5.0, and it was literally like three clicks, once I got on kernel 5.0, my battery life, I have two batteries in my laptop, two, three, uh, three cell batteries, and it gave me an hour additional per battery. So I was rocking like four hours of battery life and I was pretty happy with that. And then after getting to the 5.0 kernel, I'm rocking six hours now. And I'm serious. It was like three clicks and it just, it blows my mind that Linux Mint makes things that easy. And you know, you know, props to the guy that, that wrote Uku and props to Linux Mint for, for shipping it. Cause man, it just makes my life so much easier. I don't have to worry about, Oh, what version? Oh, what version? Just the, the biggest number, click on the biggest number and click. Okay. And you're done. So, and then uh, people aren't going to work. So here, here's one of the things that, that got kind of got brought up in that article prior. And it was the argument that people should stop working on these, on these projects that are, you know, out of band, that are not directly related to Ubuntu or that are just, you know, these, these passion projects over here or whatever, because they might not ever make it into mainline anything. And that's the wrong attitude to have because you can't. Remember that that everybody that's working on these projects is probably working on them for free, right? These guys aren't getting paid $100,000 to go write the software that you want them to write or contribute to Ubuntu. They're doing it with the time that they donate to Linux. They could be doing something else. They could be making $100,000 with that time, but they are not. They are working on Linux. And to tell them that, no, you shouldn't work on that project that I know you really like or whatever, but you shouldn't work on that project. You should work on this project. That ain't going to fly, man. These people are working because their heart tells them they need to be working on this, because their their passion is in this. And 
to say that they need to work on something else. That's just not how it's going to go. They're going to work on what they're going to want to work on or they're not going to work at all. So by telling them to work on a different project, you may very well be convincing someone to not contribute to Linux at all. And that is the absolute wrong attitude to have, in my opinion. Obviously, I'm sure somebody else on the show has a different opinion than me, but that is the wrong way to talk to people that are trying to advocate for and develop for Linux. Don't, this this entire, Linux is entirely built upon hacker culture. And to tell someone that's hacking away on a Raspberry Pi to be like, no, 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 you shouldn't be hacking on that. You should be hacking on this phone system over here. And the guy's going to be like, well, then I just won't hack. So anyway, that, that's, that's just another one of those points. But anyway, the bigger one is that Ubuntu's trajectory with snaps and uh, live patching and all the things that they are doing is a different trajectory than Mint. One of the biggest examples of this is Mint does not ship Snap by default. It is easy as pie to install it. Apt install Snapd. Done. Right. It's it's ready to go. And there's a there's another module that I can't remember the name of that you can get it to add to the store so that you can search it right next to your flat packs or whatever. But the trajectories are different. The the users that they are targeting is different. So that is one of the hugest reasons that that Linux Mint should live on and should be one of the very first distributions that we recommend to people um just because their their whole existence for living is to make things easy for the end user so that like Moss had mentioned that users just come back and be like am i not using windows Linux Mint does that really well and adding in any any Ubuntu package that wasn't shipped with Linux Mint is easy as pie. So you can have the best of both worlds. Have exactly what Clem and team want you to have with Linux Mint. And then when you're like, ah, flat packs aren't doing it for me, you just go add SnapD or any other piece of software that is in the Ubuntu repo because Linux Mint is still Ubuntu, just with a different idea on how things should work. So no matter what fear, no matter what uncertainty or doubt, gets said on any of these articles that come out. I mean, it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And $24,000 in May proves it. Anyway, I'll get off April. my soapbox. Oh, was it April? Yeah, so... It was April. They don't have May figures yet. $24,000 in donations in a single month is why Linux Mint's not going to go anywhere. And so now that I'm off my soapbox, I will let Josh tell us why he's on Linux. Well, I... Um... I was a Windows user um, until about six years ago. I still am a Windows user, um, but I originally found Linux through um, the the makerspace that I go to, and um, through Tony Hughes, who is um, known as the Linux Mint UK promoter around here. Um, he he told me about Linux Mint, so I tried it out um, on a Toshiba laptop that he gave me. Um, and I used it for about two years, and then I went to Ubuntu for some reason. I don't know why, I can't remember. Um, and then about a year ago, I changed back to Linux Mint because Ubuntu was buggy. Um, the displays didn't work, uh, nothing wanted to work. Um, I uninstalled Python on Ubuntu and it broke the boot sequence for some reason um, and this was Python 2 or something like that um, I did something um, and it broke 
So I switched to Linux Mint and I don't see going back. Um, it's got a really nice UI. Um, it's very Windows-like. Um, I dual boot Windows because I have to use it for school and other stuff. Um, so it's nice to have a UI that's similar to Windows and um, you can get around quite easily. Uh, the community is obviously quite friendly. Um, there's lots of tutorials online, like if you search up how to do this on Linux Mint, um, you'll basically find out how to do it. Um, and that can't be said for every distro, so that's nice to have um, as well. And obviously I don't want to get kicked off Mintcast, um, so you got to stay on Linux Mint to be on here. <laughs> you don't gotta do that. Shoot, Bo runs Arch. <laughs> uh, if you hadn't said it, I would have. <laughs> Not on everything. Yeah, I mean, I run, I run some Fedora and uh, Mr. Alexander down in the in the feedback. I don't know. He's gonna he's gonna convince me to run FreeNAS. I I know it. So that's gonna be BSD. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm really concerned that Josh thinks we're going to kick him off Mintcast. <laughs> He's the only thing keeping <laughs> no the jokes. show running right now. <laughs> okay, shall I go next? Please do. Right, for me, um, before I start talking about why I use Mint, I think I should say why I chose Linux over uh, those other proprietary op operating systems that are out there. Um Obviously, one of the first issues is the cost of hardware associated with something like Apple, uh, their eco uh, ecosystem, as far as I'm aware. Mac, you know, it's a great operating system, Mac OS. Uh, it's supposed to be really secure. It's not as intrusive as um, Windows when, you, when you're looking at... Um, spyware and stuff like that, or not so much spyware, but uh, the, the things that the OS does to track you in the community uh, like Windows does um, and it's uh, it's also very popular with the creative community Mac uh, so it's well served with you know lots and lots of popular software not available in Linux for obvious reasons but the hardware is absolutely vastly overpriced as far as I'm concerned so you know I'd, I'd rather buy an ordinary laptop and stick Linux on it uh, for that very reason. Um, as far as Windows goes, um, as time has gone on, Windows has become more and more intrusive. Uh, you spend half your time trying to stop Windows tracking you on various things. When you do an install, you've got to tell it to uh, make the minimum amount of uh, information available through the portal and switch everything off uh, on install. So I personally wouldn't use it for my daily driver at all, uh, despite nowadays uh, they're virtually giving Windows 10 away. Uh, my recent experience is someone had a Windows 7 laptop and they're still managing to get the update to Windows 10. So if you've got a Windows 7 or 8 license for personal use, you can, you can still manage to install Windows 10 without having to pay for it. But I also refurbish a lot of older PC hardware with no licenses on it. So if you don't have an active license, uh, the cost of a, a new Windows 10 license is at least 100 quid in this country. Uh, I would imagine it's around about the $100 mark in, in the US. Um, but um, 
that can often be more than the value or nearly as much as the value of the hardware. So it's not really uh, that good a deal if if you're trying to rescue old uh, computer equipment. So, uh, and the the final thing is the process of doing a fresh install of Windows is quite long, partly because um, up until Windows 10, uh, it was a nightmare trying to get drivers for everything. Uh, Windows 10 is an awful lot better with that. But, um, you know, it still, you know, can be an issue, with, particularly with proprietary things that are installed in uh, laptops and PCs. You may still have to go hunting for some drivers. Whereas the majority of the time when I install um, Linux, uh, drivers aren't nece- uh, aren't usually an issue. You may occasionally have a, an unusual Wi-Fi card or you may have a proprietary graphics card, but usually you can get them working fairly quickly so um, you know and also once you've installed the operating system you then got to go along and try and install the software you need to make it productive because Windows doesn't come with very much software Um, it doesn't come with an office suite doesn't come with various other things that you need to make your computer usable Uh, so if you're not going to install open source software you're going to have to spend money to get things like um, Microsoft Office and you know a CD player or a you know DVD player or what whatever the piece of software is, uh, you're going to actually have to pay for it. So uh, that's that's the main reason I've moved away from those. Two, well, I know I was never on the Apple ecosystem, but that's the main reasons that I started to move away from Windows. But when I first started to use Linux in 2006-2007, obviously at the time, Ubuntu was the fairly new kid on the block, but it also made installing uh, Linux a fairly simple process. All right, there was still a few tweaks you had to do uh, once you'd installed it to get uh, a DVD working and things like that but gradually the community came to the fore with that and there was things like the Medibuntu repository that made that fairly simple um, and uh, you know I, I started off with the GNOME desktop or I used Xubuntu with, uh, with the X, uh, XSE, XFCE desktop environment which, which back in the day you could use on a Pentium 2 with 196 mega RAM um so as one of the reasons I started using Linux was to refurbish really old computers at the time uh, and give away on freecycle this was uh, a no brainer really then back in 2009 uh, I started using uh, Ubuntu as my daily driver with the GNOME desktop um I had been running a dual boot system and for some reason my desktop uh, crashed Uh, and when I went to reinstall it I realised I hadn't been using the Windows XP partition very much if if at all so I just didn't bother reinstalling it I ended up putting Windows XP in a virtual machine uh, rather than dual booting it for the very little number of times that I needed to run anything in Windows Um, and it's been my daily driver ever since 2009 and then along came uh, um, Unity in around the 2011 uh, era 
and I didn't like that desktop environment at all. It just didn't sit well with me. Like I said earlier on, I'm, I'm an old-fashioned guy. I got used to the uh, the kind of Windows XP look, and GNOME 2 kind of fit the bill with that. And so when uh, Mint decided to fork GNOME 2 and for, uh, and uh, create the Mate desktop, I decided to jump ship and install Linux Mint. I had played around with it. I liked it because it came with a lot of the codecs uh, already uh, installed out the box, so you didn't have to faff around using the Medibuntu repositories uh, when you installed. And so in 2011, I started using Mint, and I've been using Mint as my daily go-to operating system ever since. And it's the one that I use and install on other people's hardware if they ask me uh, to rescue old computers for them. And quite a few people know I'm a Linux user. So actually, people actually come up to me now and say, you know, this Linux Mint you talk about or this Linux operating system you talk about, could you stick it on there for me? Because Windows is dire. Or they've got an old one that's still running XP or Windows 7 or whatever. Um, and I'll do that. And uh, like Moss said, you know, quite quite often I don't hear from him again <laughs> until uh, you know many months later, if at all. You know, and, and that's usually when I'm uh, talking to him and saying how they're getting on with the with the uh, machine that I gave them with Linux on it. So. Uh, Actually, when I typed up these show notes, I wasn't actually using Linux Mint because uh, I was typing up the show notes on uh, PC Linux OS because uh, uh, that's going to be my next review for uh, distro hoppers. But uh, generally, uh, Linux Mint does everything I need it to. Uh, Linux itself does everything I need it to, and because of the choice that's available in the community, if Linux Mint were to go away, there'd be something else out there that I could use. So that's about it from me. I don't know whether anyone's got any questions on that. If not, we'll move over to Bo. Yeah, so um, whenever we uh, discussed this topic, I tried to think back to my earliest, like when I first saw a Linux desktop, for the first time, um, because uh, my father works in PC repair, and so I had heard of Linux before, but he wasn't a Linux guy. So, you know, whenever he would describe it to me, it was almost like it was just meant for robots and not real people. And the first time I think I ever saw one, like, in person on, like, a regular person's laptop um, was actually playing Magic the Gathering um, with a regular Magic the Gathering friend of mine who brought his laptop to this one particular Friday Night Magic and um, we were looking up some sort of rulings on it and I noticed that it looked a lot different than my laptop. So I said, hey, what's the deal with that? And he says, you know, oh, this is uh, this is Linux. Um, I think it was Ubuntu at the time. And um, he says, I remember his quote was, oh, it's just like Windows, but you can make it what you want it. And which that statement even at, at especially at that time was completely untrue because there was a, there was a lot of things that was incompatible between Windows and Ubuntu. Um, but his point was is that the there is a a freedom aspect to this OS that is unlike Windows, um, and that kind of appealed to me, and I was curious about it. So I talked to uh, some other friends, uh, you know, in that same circle. Um, and uh, we decided to have a installation party. So 
if you've been into Linux for a long time, you've probably heard of the legendary uh, installation parties of the 90s. Um, I actually got to do one of those where we all installed um, Ubuntu on our laptops, and um, and then uh, I quickly realized that Counter-Strike did not work on Ubuntu, so I promptly removed it and put Windows back on. Um, but that was my first experience um, with, with Linux was that. And um, that appeal stuck with me, the whole freedom aspect of being able to change, you know, aspects of the OS that I'm not allowed to change in Mac or Windows uh, definitely has always been the key factor that has stuck with me over time. Um, the second time I gave Linux a try later on was um, I was working at Best Buy and a, a person came in to have a data transfer done from their old laptop to a new one. And the old laptop was running Fedora. And up until this point, all I had ever seen was Ubuntu. I didn't realize that there was like a hundred other distros out there. And so I asked the guy, I'm like, oh, I've never seen this version of Ubuntu. What's this funny, you know, logo here? And um, he tells me, he acts shocked, like, you know, like, oh, you've never seen Fedora? And he tells me all about it. So um, I think the next installation I did was a Fedora install on an old Dell um, laptop. Um, from there, I kind of amongst my friends kind of became the free as in beer versus free as in speech. Let me tell you about my Lord and Savior Linus Torvald guy for a while, uh, where I was like super evangelistic about Linux and, you know, wouldn't touch anything else. Um, I kind of got <laughs> bit by that bug. Um, but, uh, that's, you know, carried with me, you know, all the way up until now. And, uh, I still used windows only for gaming, but today, um, I've been able to ditch, uh, Windows because most games run on Proton or DXVK uh, using Lutris. Um, and so I've even kind of abandoned Windows for the gaming world. I think that we're in a really good place right now with desktop Linux. Um, and uh, we have a great community um, to thank for that. Um, and it's only going to get better. I see it growing in the next couple years dramatically. Um, but anyway, so um, I actually for the past year have had a job working with Linux every day and that's like a dream come true. Um, and, uh, it's with CentOS and, um, I work with, uh, a, a lot of really smart, uh, Linux enthusiasts. And, um, basically the only reason I was able to get that position was because I went into an interview. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like a fan, like everybody else before me that had been in the interview was looking for a career. And I was just like, Linux is really neat. Like I'm really obsessed with it. It's really cool. And they like that. And so I've been, you know, I've been obnoxiously enthusiastic ever, ever since. And I, I plan on being in the future. <laughs> you reminded me when you said about the install parties there, Bo. I remember ordering boxes of 100 uh, CDs yes. to install Ubuntu. <laughs> yes. And taking them to events and giving them away and, you know, installing Linux there and then for people. It was great. That's I absolutely thought you were going right. to say 100 boxes of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> that too. That too. That's absolutely right. We actually had, yeah, we had physical CDs that we used to install at that party. And uh, it was so, I wish I could remember what version of Ubuntu it was. I'm sure it was a single digit number. Um, but I have no idea. But we had physical CDs. I want to say the coloring was more like orange and brown. Um, and it... Uh, yeah, that was definitely a unique experience. One that I don't think people do today. I think the install party thing is kind of is kind of died out. You know, now you just burn a USB and and bam, you're going. You can even install your updates while it's while it's installing. Um, as far as Linux Mint, 
goes, I switched to Linux Mint whenever Ubuntu switched to Unity. Um, I just didn't like Unity that much. I think I tried out GNOME 3 and wasn't really happy with it. I did later on, actually, just within the last uh, couple years, actually, like right before Ubuntu switched from Unity to, to GNOME 3, I had actually kind of fallen in love with Unity and, and kind of kind of found that I liked it. Um, but whenever it first came out, it was just too dramatic for me. I, I just couldn't go. I couldn't go from the GNOME 2 uh, layout to this, you know, dramatic change, and it was it was just a complete like, you know, paradigm shift. And that's whenever I moved to Linux Mint for the first time. Yeah, I agree with you on that. That's that's round about the time that I moved. I think uh, when they introduced Unity is round about the time when they brought the purple theming in. <laughs> moved over from the yeah, orange to right. the purple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, but yeah, it kind of amazing. So that'd be around eleven oh four. It kind of amazes me that you guys are able to find other people around you that are willing to install Linux. I mean, that has been the biggest reason that I got online to start talking to people about it was I can't find other people that are interested and want to try it out. Well, at that time, I mean, like I said, I, I met the guy playing Magic the Gathering, and I think I think out of that whole group of friends, I think I'm the only one that still uses Linux but we were definitely like super nerdy. So they were willing to try it. Um, and so it was like this one guy, you know, basically passed around the same disc to all of us. And then I think, I think other than him, we all switched back to windows almost immediately, but it planted the seed, man. Cause it, you know, it came back later in life. I ended up switching, you know, whole hog. So I guess it was a good thing in, in the end. Yeah. Uh, when I was doing the install parties, quite often they'd be at uh, events similar to, what you were talking about, Texas Linux Fest. We call them bar camps over in this country. And uh, we used to have a bar camp here in Blackpool. And there'd be about 100, 150 kind of open culture people around. So we'd have a stall set up and anyone who was interested would come along. We'd tell them about it. And if they wanted to, we'd, we'd do it there and then or give them a CD to take away. Okay, Bo, you all done? Yeah, I think that's all I got for me, Moss. What do you, uh, what's your story? Is it my turn, Daddy? Oh, okay. Uh, well, I've been playing with computers since about 1970, but not really serious because I couldn't let anyone, I couldn't get anyone to let me actually sit on the computer and do things. I've been playing with Linux since about 2002. I'm not a programmer or anything, just curious. I had a dislike of Microsoft for lack of diversity and an inability to control viruses and fragmentation and bloatware and updates, things which still persist to this day. At that time, I had disks and books for Slackware and Red Hat, and they required more brain cells to install than I had available. Then I got a Mandrake disk, loaded, loaded it, and it worked. I think it was Mandrake 8. Still, it didn't provide the experience I needed, but it was fun to play with. After a couple years, the new version of Mandrake would not load to my computer, and I'm not one to keep old software unless it works out of the box. I'm not techy. I don't sit around and tinker with it to make it work. Uh, I tried Suzy just before it became open Suzy. That, too, worked, but did not give me a full online experience. So I kept it on the computer for a little bit and played with it, and then went dormant for a while. Upgraded my box from a 486DX to a P2, Every now and again, I would poke my head back into Linux, but I could not seem to get any of my friends to develop a similar interest, so it mostly stayed in the background. 
I eventually did get my roommate to uh, put Fedora on his machine. He started building machines, which I now have in my back room here because he died and, and uh, left them to me in his will. Um, I think there's a Fedora machine back there. There's a Windows machine. There's a Hackintosh. There's one other machine. I'm not sure what's on it. Uh, I'll have more on that in a later episode. Um, in 2011, I stopped being senior editor at a tiny publishing company. I once again felt comfortable playing on my computer and installed Ubuntu 10.04. I had played with 8.04 briefly. Then 12.04 came out with Unity. It was first used in 10.10, but I only do LTS for the most part. And Unity would not, Ubuntu would not install to my system with Unity. Rather than try to figure out how to make it work with another desktop or try another distro, I just went back to XP. I had a couple computers during a bad relationship which ran 8 or 8.1, and I hated those. When I moved out, I went back to a Windows 7 machine. Then Windows tried to force me to Windows 10. I resisted for a while, learning all about the security issues, and then went ahead and did the upgrade, quote-end-quote. I looked for the security holes, found them, found I couldn't close all of them no matter what I did, and that much of the, quote, wonderful new, end quote, software required them, and downgraded back to Windows 7, only to discover it left the holes open. That was enough for me. For some reason, I had resisted trying Linux Mint previously, seeing it as an example of Sturgeon's Law, which is that 95% of everything is crap, but for some reason I decided to try it. I went from Windows 7 directly to Linux Mint and have not gone back since. Linux Mint was everything I'd hoped for five or ten years earlier. My Office package, which was a shampoo office made by SoftMaker, had a Linux version, so I didn't even have to change that. I also noticed it hardly took up any space on my hard drive, and I had a couple of external hard drives, so I moved my personal files to an external hard drive, partitioned my computer drive, and started trying other distros while keeping Linux Mint installed. This gives me the best of both worlds, a stable operating system which does everything I need, and room to play with other distros. My Dell PC died, don't know why, but it was on the motherboard. And I got a Lenovo X130e, room easily for two partitions. I have since upgraded to a Lenovo T430 about three years ago now. And as I've mentioned so many times, I've got it partitioned into four groups. But I keep using Linux Mint as my main driver because it does everything, every time, predictably. It might be seen as being a bit boring, but that's why I play with other distros. My current favorite fun distro is Bode 5.0.0, and it's just not as stable. And that's about all I got. What do you have, Joe? Well, I thought um, my story was going to be very similar to everybody else's, but uh, I guess my reasons for getting into Linux in the first place are a bit different. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, I had played around with Linux before, while I was in college, before I was in college, even back to when I was in the military in 99 through 2003, I played around with it a bit. But mostly I was, you know, uh, an XP user. And uh, what really got me started on the process to switching was... I found out how much the industry that I want to work in relies on Linux. So I figured the easiest way 
to learn it was to jump in both feet first and get started on it. And, and being in there every day, I would at least pick up some of the knowledge that I needed for the industry. So that's what first got me on to, I, I, I think I started with Ubuntu, but I did a quite a bit of distro hopping and tried out several different free operating systems, including the one that Solaris put out, um, their desktop version. Um, I tried BSD, um, a couple of others that I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, nothing really sat right. So I, I kept dual booting. And this was in that same time frame, you know, Windows 7, Windows 8, and Windows 8.1. I did like Windows 8 just because of the feature that it had where you could immediately go to any of your desktops that had it installed as long as they were turned on and access all the files. Now, granted, that was a big security problem, which is why they fixed it immediately in 8.1. So, um... After a while, though, about the time I think 10 was first coming out and it had all of those background processes problems that just completely killed the system, I, I was just like to heck with it and switched over to Linux full time. And it really did help me learn Linux and, and get better at the skills that I use every day at work and I, I love it for that but um really the reason i chose mint was initially for the the non-free codecs already being built in i didn't have to worry about going going out and getting them and installing them it was all already there and even now um with linux mints mostly uh, i i you know, it's that 95 XP feel with a more modern look that that is very attractive to me just because it's what I grew up on, essentially. And also the fact that it's one of the distros where I minimally have to install anything else to make it a usable daily system. And if I choose to customize it, that's great. If I don't choose to customize it, that's great too. It still just works. Um, well, and that's really the reason my, my current reasoning behind why I am on Linux uh, or, or Linux mint. It's easy enough to get set up. It's easy enough to run the NVIDIA drivers and it, it in the repos now, all, everything is there that I need. Since they added the repos, or added X to go to the repos, I don't have to go out and get any other PPAs. I just have to install. And really, that that's all I have right there. So I do believe it's time for us to switch to vibrations from the ether, unless anybody has any questions. Nope. Okay. Okay, vibrations. Well, the first um, piece of feedback we got, or it was more of a question actually, was from Highlander, um, and he sent us an email. Uh, I've noticed some odd behaviour in Windows 10. That uh, in itself is not unusual, but it seems as though Windows has the ability to hide files whenever a computer is booted in a different way. USB, DVD, NIC, port etc 
I looked at the files in a OneDrive file folder using two methods. USB booting and hard drive. The first drive I booted to, uh, to Linux USB, I was able to see the contents of the OneDrive file folder. Uh, I let the computer boot to Windows and after that I didn't put in the password, restarted the computer and booted back in, into Linux USB. I looked into the OneDrive file folder a second time. The folder looked totally empty. I let the computer boot to Windows a second time, then I put in the correct password and looked in the OneDrive folder uh, a third time. This time the files were visible. So I'm curious, does Linux have the means to find files that are hidden by Windows 10? And Leo, Leo's uh, written this response. Um, I'm honestly not sure here. It sounds like a syncing issue more than a hidden files one, but I'm not familiar enough with OneDrive to know. Unless it's a new feature, NTFS can't hide files from Linux. I don't know whether anyone else could uh, hide, uh, give any uh, indication on that one. It's not something I know about. Mm. Uh, yeah, I I read this and um, I agree with what Leo said here. If you look at an NTFS file system, I don't think there's any distinguishing. I don't think there's any distinction between what is hidden by the operating system in Windows 10. And what isn't? I think they would look the same um, either way. But I have experienced this problem on my work laptop with OneDrive, um, and I think I think it actually is a OneDrive issue where you're logging in. If if for some reason your 365 account is not logged in on your local computer, you may not see the files that are synced to your OneDrive online folder. And so I think that there's some kind of conflict there more than having to do with what's actually physically on the hard drive. That makes sense. And we also got an email from Brad Alexander. It says, Hey guys, wanted to follow up with my experiences with FreeNAS. I started with 9.2 in 2017, moved through the 9.3 and 9.10 branches, but I skipped the 10 slash Corel fiasco and stayed on 9.10 through that. 11.0 came out in June 2017. I waited until June before upgrading to let them cook most of the obvious bugs out, but it went smoothly. Same with the upgrade to 11.1 and 11.2. I understand your concern, but I've been running 11.2 since April. It was released in December 2018. The main change was the new GUI, which is very pretty, but yes, there are things that don't work in it. One thing I found was the ability to paste in a certificate. However, and this is a big however, you still have access to the tried-and-true old interface that you're familiar with. And like you, I run free NAS boxes at work. We run them on 45 drives at storage pods. The last two we got were pre-configured with free NAS 11.1. We have had two of our older ones coming out of service, and I was able to convert them straight to 11.2. So my home box was upgraded from 9.2 to 9.3 to 9.10 to 11.1 to 11.2 with no problems, no data loss. Two at work are running 11.1, waiting for a maintenance window to be able to upgrade to 11.2, and a pair of them have done the direct 11.2 installation and configured. And remember, I could pull a ZFS pool out of my FreeNAS, plug it into my FreeBSD desktop, and import the pool there. ZFS is all about data protection. Let me know what you think, or if you have questions... And Brad again says, one other thing since you brought it up, ransomware is easily defeated by ZFS. IX Systems has a couple of articles on beating ransomware, and we will have those links in the show notes. Leo oh. responded, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, that's really cool. Good to know. 
Leo's response was, your experience makes me feel a lot better about where FreeNAS is on version 11. I honestly quite like the new GUI, <laughs> GUI versus the old. My biggest question about your comment that you could pull a drive from the pool and shove it into a free BSD desktop is, would that be possible on Linux? That is one of my main concerns. Is there anything special I would need to do using essentially Ubuntu 18.04? I really like combating the ransomware via the restores. Thanks for your feedback. I think I'm going to really give FreeNAS another try before settling on Fedora 30. Uh, and that was all the feedback that uh, we had. And now for Check This Out. Okay, and Bo, you had something you brought to check this out? Uh, yeah, before I get into that, actually, the chat has given us a check this out. They want to say that another reason to use Linux Mint um, is this excellent website, Easy Linux Tips Project. That's at easylinuxtipsproject.blogspot.com. Um, they say they have a lot of tutorial, beginner tutorial, tutorials, um, and uh, most of them center around Linux Mint. Um, and so uh, they say that's a really good, really good tool that we should add to the show notes. So I'll add that in there. Um, my um, pick this week was uh, LearnLinux.tv is a YouTube channel that I frequent um, for uh, tutorials or, um, you know, sometimes he just does OS reviews that, you know, I'm curious about. So I'll watch them. Um, but it's a YouTube channel, a uh, single, you know, one guy does uh, reviews and tutorials. And he just recently did several videos on Linux Mint Beginner's Guide. Um, so um, I would suggest checking those out. I haven't watched every one of them yet, but um, I've watched his Arch Beginner's Guides in the past. As a matter of fact, I think the first several Arch installs I did, it was while watching his YouTube channel. So I'm really anxious to see uh, his take on uh, Linux Mint uh, for beginners. So uh, learnlinux.tv, another good resource. So Moss. Yeah, I found a few things here. Uh, it's Foss has a article on best VPN services for privacy-minded Linux users. Um, it was a very good article, and it did include my favorite, which I won't bring up again. Uh, they also had a very good article a quick look at elvish shell and what it is and what you need to do with it and why and i think you'll enjoy looking at that if you're into shells at all and finally uh hum humble book bundle hacking 2.0 uh by no starch press so if you want cheap books from no starch press from one dollar uh check out the latest humble bundle hacking 2.0 link in the show notes and I uh, found another YouTube channel that I'm really enjoying right now. Um, it's called Tronics Fix. And this guy is a game system. He, he does game system repair professionally. And it's just in really good to watch him with a hot air gun and going in or with a heat gun go in there and just fix these boards on these different game systems and or just how he troubleshoots how he goes through and finds out and isolates what's wrong on a specific device i mean um you've seen him do the nintendo switches the xbox ones the xbox one s's and 
playstations he, he works on it and it's really just fascinating to watch him work on those i highly recommend it to anyone and that's all we have for check this out next we have announcements actually i don't see any announcements next show is in two weeks and then for the wrap up okay uh bo where can we find you you can find uh more of my podcast at undercastnetwork.com and moss you can find me at Triad Bardic College, Peaceful Hippo, Distro Hopper's Digest, Me We. My music is on Bandcamp, and you can contact me through moss at mintcast.org. Tony Hughes? Yeah, you can find me on Hacker Public Radio, and there's a link to my ID on there on the show notes. I do an occasional blog at tony-hughes.blogspot.com. I'm on Twitter, tonyh1212. Uh, you can obviously get me at th at mintcast.org and you can contact myself at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. And Leo is available at leochavez.org and at leochavez on Twitter. And you can email him at leo at mintcast.org and he is on the Full Circle Weekly News podcast. Josh, where can we find you? I'm on edgyblocks.org, uh, all about code on Twitter, and I don't have a Minkcast email, which I still need to fix. You can find me on josh at edgyblocks.org. And I'm Joe, and you can find me on a couple of the other podcasts that I do, and that's the Linux Link Tech Show, www.tllts.org, and the Linux Lugcast, which is www.linuxlugcast.com. I'm on MeWe. And you can email me at jb at mintcast.org. We would like to give a special thanks to Josh for working on redesigning our website, setting up the YouTube stream, and providing lots of technical help. Now, the YouTube didn't, stream didn't work today, but um, that's a problem with YouTube, not with our setup. <laughs> and we should say thanks to Kay Wisher for saving this episode. He let us use it this episode. Thank you, Kay Wisher, <laughs> for bringing up the podcaster for today. And thank you, Archive.org, for hosting our audio files. The folks at Hacker Public Radio for the mumble server we use to communicate. ByteMark Hosting for providing the new hosting server for the website. The Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music. And thanks for listening to this episode of The Mintcast.